Do you guys know anybody who believes in conspiracy theories? Yeah? Yeah, of course. We all know somebody who believes in conspiracy theories. And I don't mean just like, you know, like dabbles in it, like a curiosity, like true believers. There are people in this church, in our congregation, who believe some really interesting things. Good friends of mine. There's one person in our church who can tell you his personal story of coming face-to-face with a Sasquatch. Who am I to disagree? Although it was in the 60s, so you never know (laughs) what was going on there. Um, I have a friend who is convinced that one time when she was in the grocery store, she ran into the old man D.B. Cooper, like the real guy. Um, I have another friend who talks, uh, loves to talk about aliens every single time that we have a conversation. Um, I have another friend who's like a philosopher who doesn't even believe that negative numbers are a real thing. And who doesn't enjoy the occasional curiosity or oddity from time to time? Now, these conspiracy theories, they're all fun until like the red string comes out, right? until the conspiracy starts to take over their lives. We all have one of those uncles, right? You might be the uncle in your family. (laughs) And here's the thing about people who go down the rabbit hole or who take the red pill. If you talk to them, you realize pretty quickly that they think you are the one who is crazy. And after conversations with people who like kind of have this totally different worldview, this, this other way of interpreting like everything around them, I always come away feeling like the ground beneath my feet is a little less stable. Like, am I crazy or are they crazy? Have you ever felt like the whole world has gone mad or wondered whether maybe you're the one who's losing your mind? The last few years, not just in the United States, but across the globe, have been totally disorienting for pretty much all of us. Like, sometimes it feels like we are in a funhouse parody of reality. Like, we're in Earth 2, and somewhere we, we diverged in the multiverse from sort of what is normal and sane and real. And so living through the last decade is enough to make anyone feel lost and confused and disoriented. We have gone through the, there's just like a myriad of really intense things that have jolted our culture from the rise and fall and attempted resurgence of Donald Trump to the chaos of a global pandemic, the uprising over systemic racism. We're in an opioid and fentanyl crisis that we're experiencing the redefinition of what we've always considered to be sort of the basics of what it means to be a person, gender ideology, human sexuality, family structures. And in all of this instability that we're all feeling, people have turned to a myriad of things sort of to find their footing, to look for their answers. For many, it's it's turning to increasingly aggressive partisan news media that confirms that they are not the crazy one, or to identity politics, or to these... um, like conspiracy theories, or to outrage, or to loveless, dogmatic, quasi-religious systems that divide us into us versus them, that fan into flame anger and hatred and propagate fear. And it's leaving many, many, many of us feeling stuck in disillusionment or maybe even despair. And at the same time, we are seeing like a spike in the rate of mental illness depression and anxiety and all kinds of disorders. 
addiction to alcohol and other substances and drugs, pornography. Loneliness has actually been recognized as an epidemic. And then, of course, we know that tech, that big tech is constantly being redesigned to hold your attention longer and to make you mentally sicker. In the 21st century, our minds are struggling. Our brains are increasingly broken, and I think that we all know it. I often come back to this line from the 2001 film Zoolander, where Mugatu says, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. Does anybody else feel that way? That was a really tepid, I thought that one was going to land. That's a 22-year-old reference, so I guess it's not going to land. And as Christians, we are not immune from all of the same confusion and anger and depression and disorientation that those around us experience. But as followers of Jesus, we're meant to point people to another better way, right? Like, the question then is, is how? How do we break free from the cycles of outrage and disorientation and anxiety and despair? How do we demonstrate wholeness of mind in a world of fractured minds? This morning, we're going to continue our short series walking through uh, the, the 12th chapter of uh, Paul's letter to the Roman church, which is a summary of how we as Christians are formed into the image of Jesus and how we are meant to embody, to demonstrate, to show a different way of living to the rest of the world. And last week, we just focused on the first verse, talking about uh, how God values our bodies and how our bodies are integral to how we can worship him. And today, Paul turns our focus to the life of the mind. And many of today's ideas come from some of my favorite thinkers on the subject, uh, from John Mark Comer and his work with Practicing the Way, um, from Dallas Willard's Renovation of the Heart. Any of you guys pick up this book yet? Write it down. Renovation of the Heart by Dallas Willard. And then a recent new favorite of mine, Beholding by Strawn Coleman. I want to highly recommend this book to you as well. So if there's anything that you hear today that is helpful, it's probably from one of these people or just the Holy Spirit telling you something. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 12. And we are going to be in verse 2. Here's what we read from the Apostle Paul. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing, and perfect will. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that um, we don't just read the Bible as an ancient document that gives us tips for our life, but that you are present in the reading of the word, that you guide us in truth. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you right now to rest on each person in this room and watching on the live stream and to open our hearts and open our minds to receive your truth, God. We love you, Father. Amen. And so what we see here in Romans 12 and what we kind of identified in this introduction is that there is a pressure to align ourselves with the powers and the influences and the worldviews of our present age, whether it's a political power 
or an ideological power or sometimes even a religious power. We are constantly being baited by the world to participate in their games. And the warning here in Romans chapter 12 is that as we participate in these things from the world, the, 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 these things, they start to do something to us. It's, they start to form us. And Paul says, don't conform to the pattern of this world. I love how N.T. Wright, he translates this sentence like this. He says, don't let yourselves be squeezed in the shape dictated by this present age. The more that we give ourselves over to the pattern of the world, the more we are sort of squeezed into its likeness. We become like what we see around us. And the more that we are squeezed into the shape of this present age, the more that we start to experience the fruit of this present age in our lives, right? We're starting, we, we, we conform to the pattern of this world and we find ourselves driven by worry or endless consumerism or identity confusion or political outrage or being fueled by comparison or drawn by greed. Should I keep going? Competition. <laughs> Waste, driven by pleasure, loneliness, insecurity. Do you want any more? Division in families, enslaved by addiction, afraid of the other, on and on and on that we can go. I think you get the point. And this, my friends, is the pattern of this world. And it seeks to conform us into its image. And the way that the world forms us is through our attention, there is a principle that is true. It's wired into our DNA. It's, it's something that we, all of us, every single human being is created with. And this principle is this. It says, or it's that we become like what we look at. You will become like what you look at. You will become like whatever it is that you give your attention to. The things that we contemplate shape us for better or for worse. And that is why it really matters how we give our attention away. If you are constantly consuming and taking in crass humor or visual sexuality, it, it's not just unhealthy, it actually has a formative effect on you. If you indulge in the comparison game, whether sort of in, in neighborhood groups and seeing what other people drive or maybe on social media, you will slowly buy into the value system behind it. If you look at violent images or movies all the time, or if you watch sadism in horror films, it will begin to shape you. It will form your appetites and it will form your worldview. If you spend hours of your day listening to voices degrade and demean their political enemies on YouTube or 24-hour news media, you will be a person who is increasingly outraged by the world. Oops, <laughs> did I step on any toes there? And so what we behold or contemplate, it has the power to form us, to conform us to its pattern. And while in the world's hands, this power is destructive, the same principle actually can still apply to our spiritual formation as we seek to become more like Jesus. And so instead of being squeezed into the mold of our world, we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Another translation of that is to be transformed by changing the way we think. In his work with Practicing the Way, John Mark Comer notes that this is a key, key insight that we often miss in sort of our Western way of thinking, particularly in the church. See, in Christian theology, 
We believe that because of the fall of our first parents, back in Genesis chapter 3, our whole personhood has fallen into sin, soul, body, and our minds. And most of us naturally recognize the fallenness of our heart or our body. Like in our body, we can feel the fallenness of our flesh, right? Like in our body, we wrestle with aging and sickness and pain. We notice that our sexual energy is difficult to rein in and can often feel like it controls us. That our need for physical pleasures that are at odds with our wholeness, things like gluttony or addiction or substances or laziness, that all of it is pulling us away from God. We even notice that our limbic system, where our fear impulse resides, is way out of whack and easily triggered. My body is clearly fallen. And we can feel it in our hearts and our desires that, that they're fallen. We all know that there is stuff that resides within us that is ugly and maybe even scary to acknowledge. Bitterness and anger, hatred, lust and infidelity. But, but in our post-enlightenment way of thinking, the mind sometimes feels like it's a neutral or maybe objective part of ourselves. Like, yeah, my desires are out of whack. Yeah, my body is messed up. But my mind is just like taking in the world. And it's rationally processing what's happening and totally correctly arriving at conclusions just based on the evidence. The mind is a processor. It is cool and rational and trustworthy. Nothing wrong with the mind, right? And that's silly. That's silly. Our mind or our intellect is just as fallen as any other part of us. And our minds are just as in need of salvation. We've all discovered that we cannot be educated into perfection. In fact, don't you find it bewildering that some of the, the, um, some of the most lost and confused and broken people are also some of the most brilliant people? See, this is not a problem of education. This is a problem of formation. In Romans chapter 1, when Paul begins his letter, he writes that humans have exchanged the truth of God for a lie and have become depraved in their thinking. He says that their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened, that although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. In our fall to sin, every part of our humanity was broken. But praise God that he can make us whole. You see, the renewed mind, it doesn't come from taking another class or reading another book to get the right answers. The renewed mind doesn't come from going on some kind of spiritual retreat and experiencing some kind of mountaintop experience. We don't get a renewed mind by coming forward to just the right altar call, having somebody pray a prayer that zaps our brains and everything is suddenly better. No, the renewing of the mind is a process of formation that happens over time as we fix our attention on God. And this is a process that begins with a couple of things. It begins with repentance, and then it continues through the ancient practice of contemplation. Uh, uh, late pastor, famous pastor A.W. Tozer said that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us, which is a brilliant like summation of kind of the whole Christian life. But why is that true? It's because we will become like whatever it is that we behold as God in our lives, whether that's the vision of the Father in the Bible 
or some kind of twisted representation of God that we were given at some point during our childhood, or whether it's something else that we hold as ultimate, like success or beauty or whatever is at sort of the center of our lives. And Jesus reveals God to us and has come to orient us away from the lesser things, the pattern of this world, and to point us toward the goodness and love and holiness of God. And so if the mind is where we first turned away from God, then the mind is where we take our first steps back towards God, which means that we need to exchange the lies for the truth. We need to replace the false things that we've lived towards with the knowledge and beauty of God's kingdom. Dallas Willard, in his, in his book, The Renovation of the Heart, says it this way. He says, as we first turned away from God in our thoughts, so it is in our thoughts that the first movements toward the renovation of the heart occur. Thoughts are the place where we can and must begin to change. And this is a process. And this process, it begins with something called repentance. And when Jesus first arrived on the scene in Mark chapter 1, and he's calling people to respond to his announcement that God's kingdom was here, was at hand, was among them, he told them to respond by repenting and believing. Now, this word repent, I know that for some of us, if you grew up in kind of churchy world, that might carry a little bit of like a, like a triggering weight for you. But this word repent, it can be more helpfully translated simply as changing your mind or even to rethink reality. Repentance isn't about convincing God that you are sufficiently sorry for your sin. It's more literally about reorienting your life, beginning with how you think, beginning with how you interpret reality. Repentance is an acknowledgement that our way is wrong, that it isn't working, and it's turning towards Jesus and his way. It's walking away from the old way of sin and towards Jesus and the eternal life that he promises us. And then this other word, believing, is all about trust. Believing is not about sort of mustering up a, a conviction or a confidence that, that in this particular set of doctrinal beliefs, it's rather about putting your trust or your allegiance in Jesus and not yourself or anything else. The call, and the call of Jesus is for all of us to leave everything behind, all the things that are deforming us, away from the goodness and beauty that God intended for us, all of the things, the pattern of the world that is trying to squeeze us into shape, and instead to put our trust in him to put our trust in Jesus' forgiveness through his sacrificial death in our place for our sins, to put our trust in his righteousness that has been accounted to us, the perfect life that he lived that is accounted to us before God, to put our trust in his teachings about the kingdom of God, this upside-down kingdom that the rest of the world finds bewildering, to put our trust in following him and laying down our lives, putting to death the things that are fallen and carrying our own cross, to even trust him that he will make everything in the world, including us, brand new in the age to come. The process of renewing our mind, it begins with this call to repent and to trust. But then this formation, it continues through the practice of contemplation or beholding. That if, whatever, if we become like whatever we fix our attention on, 
then the way to renew our minds is by fixing our attention on God. We are transformed by beholding God. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the next. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That we become like what we behold. And the formational power of the Christian life is right here. As we behold the glory and beauty of the Lord, we are promised that we will gradually, over time, be transformed from glory to glory to glory, all by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this principle here in 2 Corinthians 3 isn't a one-off. In Psalm 17, verse 15, we read, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness, and when I awake, I will be satisfied with your likeness. Or 1 John chapter 3 says that, dear friends, we are, we, now we are the children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All of these give us the same principle, that as our eyes look towards the beauty and glory and majesty of Jesus, that our whole being is being transformed into his same likeness. We are transformed through contemplating God by filling our minds and our imaginations with his beauty and his goodness. And this, my friends, I am convinced, is the most joyful and powerful of all the spiritual disciplines in the Christian life. It's even better than fasting. And what we are talking about here is commonly known as beholding prayer, what the ancients called the discipline of contemplation. One of my recent favorite books I mentioned earlier, uh, I read this a couple of times during sabbatical, it's Beholding by Strawn Coleman. And here's how he describes beholding. He writes, beholding is prayer, but it's much more than that too. It's about holy existence. It takes prayer out of the small pockets of conscience, conscious mental dialogue and makes it a life lived out fully in the Trinity. Beholding is the practice of gazing into God, gazing into us, gazing back into him. Our Christian ancestors used the language of placing our minds in our hearts and learning to pray from there. Beholding is a life founded on the truth that no other offer on earth or in heaven is greater than that of simply staring into the eternal eyes of God than seeing our world through them. It places a great value on God himself and makes him that worth our time. I love that description. Gazing into God, gazing into us, gazing back into him. The language is profoundly beautiful. And as, as beautiful as this language is, and as much as we just kind of naturally aspire to, yeah, that's the life that I want to live, if we're honest, we, we are just regular people who need some help knowing, help knowing where to start. Like, how in the world do you behold the glory of God? How do you gaze into God gazing back into you? How do you behold his face in righteousness? It's all very abstract, poetic language. How do I do this tomorrow morning when I wake up with my coffee? Now, all of us are different, and all of us will contemplate God in different ways. 
But I can, I can confidently say that giving yourself to learning how to behold God is the single best thing that you can do with your life. I think the best place to start this journey of beholding is very basic. It's memorizing scripture. Seriously, just memorizing parts of God's word gives you the ability to fill your mind with his truth at any time of the day, whether it's late at night as you're laying in bed, wondering why you can't fall asleep. It is an opportunity to be able to call to mind scripture and meditate on God and his beauty. The repetition and meditation on scripture is core to our transformation. When I was a teenager, um, a bunch of us were going to go on this mission trip to Mexico, and um, our youth pastor had this brilliant idea that he figured that the best way to get his students to suddenly grow up a little bit was to make them memorize Romans chapter 12. And so in order to go on this mission trip, all of us had to memorize Romans 12. And, and I can still mostly recite it to this day. It has lifelong staying power for me. And then years later, I spent a season of my life memorizing and meditating on scripture in a prayer room for 30 hours a week, which is like an unsustainable life, but it was pretty cool for a while. And, and one of the most important verses that I memorized was that verse that we just referenced, 2 Corinthians 3.18, that we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into his same image from one degree of glory to another. And it became one of the most important verses in my life as I just pondered it for hours and hours and hours. And so I want to encourage you to find a verse, a passage that will fill your mind with the beauty of God. Another one of my favorites, Psalm 27. One thing have I, do I ask from the Lord, this one thing do I seek, that I may gaze on, the, sorry, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, that I may gaze upon his beauty and seek him in his temple. Memorize scripture. The second way we can behold is through prayer. In prayer, we are simply talking to God and listening to him. We receive his words. Um, we receive like the words specifically to us, and then we fix our minds on who he is and what he says. Sometimes prayer is like what we call intercession. It's telling God what he tells us to tell him. It's listening to his words and repeating them back to him as prayer. But other times, prayer is simply about sitting silently in his presence the inverse of telling God what he tells us to tell him is to listen to God, listening to us, listening to him. We behold God by reading the gospel slowly and activating our imaginations and picturing what we read or putting ourselves in the story, looking at what the story is telling us. Or maybe it's through simply allowing your imagination to run a little bit as you are contemplating who God is, and he'll give you abstract images that draw you more closely to himself. We can behold God by delighting in beauty as worship to God, beholding God by sitting up at the summit of Silver Star and looking out over the beauty of God's creation, beholding God by talking about the amazing things that he's done in our lives with good friends, Beholding God by enjoying good food and drink and delighting in his gifts. Beholding God by sharing our story, our testimony with our friends and our neighbors and our children. Reminding ourselves even of what God has done in our lives. And then we behold God by trusting him through the pain of life. That when we suffer, we are honest with God, but we also look to God to sustain us and to lead us through our pain that feels like it may have no end. 
We look to our Savior, Jesus, who suffered as we suffer. We look to, as we sang earlier, the Son of Suffering. Paul says that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And the promise that follows, the transformation, the promise that follows, the renewing of our minds, is that then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. That as our minds are renewed through repentance and beholding, we are promised that we will be able to begin to see through the eyes of God, that we will be able to discern God's will for our lives or for our community, for our family, or even for the world. I mean, that's a big deal, right? That as we are transformed into the image of God through the renewing of our minds, we will be able to cut through all of the lies and distraction and noise and to see with clarity what God is saying. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, we have the mind of Christ. So as we come to a close, my friends, how are your minds doing? Do you feel like you are caught up in the broken patterns of this world? Do you feel overwhelmed by anxiety and noise? Jesus wants to set you free. And as we move into ministry time, I want to ask, If you're honest with yourself, if you just take a moment and reflect back on the last week or month, what have you been beholding? What are the things that you have given your your attention to? What have you found yourself contemplating day in and day out? Maybe your mind is constantly just spinning on your career and the stresses at your job. Or maybe your mind is just sort of wrapped up in concern for your kids and the issues that they're dealing with. Maybe your mind just keeps coming back to the fear of a financial issue or the health of a loved one or a thousand other stressors. Maybe you feel like your mind is tangled up in the world's values, comparing yourself to others, trusting in this next thing to get you a little further ahead. Maybe your brain just feels broken by a thousand distractions, like you find yourself unable to even read a page of a book because your brain just can't handle any more information. Jesus is inviting us to give him our minds so that he can renew it. It begins with a step of repentance, recognizing that what you have believed is leading you the wrong path towards destruction and turning to Jesus to wash you clean. And if you have never put your trust in Jesus, today he is inviting you into a relationship with him. He will walk with you every day. He will wash you clean of all the wrong that you've done and all the wrong that has been done to you. He will give you power to be able to follow him even when you feel like the brokenness of the world is luring you back into its trap. And this relationship with him, in this relationship with him, you will begin to experience what he calls eternal life. Today, you can become a Christian. All you have to do is pray a simple prayer of surrender And we'd love to help you start that journey today. And for anyone who is a Christian in this room, I think that the invitation stands for each one of us as well. Even if you have prayed a prayer of repentance at some point in your past, way back when, the invitation is the daily repentance of, I've gotten caught up in this thing, God. I find my mind drifting towards this, God. I find myself wrapped up in these concerns, God. I'm going to turn away from these things and I'm going to reorient my my eyes, my gaze on you again today. And so I'm going to invite Brendan and Kara to come up and lead us in ministry time now.
But before I hand over the mic, will you join me in prayer? And I'd like to just take this moment to lead anyone in the room who is not a Christian to pray this prayer along with me. And you can give your life to Jesus today and find a new life with him. So I'm going to pray, and you can just join me and pray silently along with me. Jesus, we, we come to you, Lord, every single one of us, knowing that our minds and our bodies and our desires are just constantly skewed toward the wrong things. That we all can see areas of our lives where, where we have trusted in the wrong source, Lord. And God, I just ask today that you would reorient us. Jesus, I ask that you would take all of my sin, that you would nail it to the cross, you would forgive it. I ask that you would give me a new life with you. And I ask that you would walk with me each day in this new way of living in eternal life. You are the Lord, and we lay our lives down to you, God. I pray, Lord, across this room that, Holy Spirit, you would rest on each person, that you would speak to us and you would draw us to yourself. Thank you that you do not leave us alone. You do not leave us as orphans. We love you, God. Amen. Will you stand with me?